0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast, where we move theology from the classroom to your living room. And today, we're going to be talking about the issue of discernment. And joining us today is uh, Chris Arnsen of the Iron Sharpens Iron radio broadcast. Chris, welcome to our podcast.
1: Hey, it's great to be here.
0: Thank you for the invitation. Well, I am... Really excited about uh, talking with you again. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Iron Sharpens Iron uh, radio show, and so uh, I'm going to kind of turn the tables on you right here, interviewing you. And uh, just as you do, I'm going to ask you to start off with just uh, give us a, a short testimony how the Lord draw you uh, drew you to Himself.
1: Well, I was born and raised in a Roman Catholic home. My mom was uh, Roman Catholic. And in my younger years, my father was Episcopalian, but they both decided to raise their children in Roman Catholicism. Uh, I was a very religious young boy. I was uh, an altar boy. went to a parochial Catholic school for eight years, and uh, about the time I was i would say 15 one of my brothers bob uh, became a born again believer and began very aggressively evangelizing me and then <clears throat> uh, i would say about uh, 9 or 10 years after that a uh, friend of mine named susan uh, who was uh, lost just as i was uh basically uh, came to Christ and uh, started to urge me to visit the church where she was attending. It was a little Pentecostal church on Long Island. I started attending with her and uh, at that point I still am not confident that I uh, was born again but I had begun uh, basically uh, repenting of very destructive, life-threatening habits. I I was a pretty serious alcoholic at that point in my life and Uh, So, the uh, the Lord was working on me, that's for sure. He was bringing me uh, to a point where I was questioning my Roman Catholic upbringing and beginning to see the fallacies of much of what I had always uh, thought was true as a Catholic. Of course, I wasn't that uh, thoroughly educated uh, as a Catholic. Uh, But I I knew some basic things that most Catholics know and most Catholics are involved in 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 a matter of devotion and practice and so on. But then uh, I began to visit a uh, Reformed Baptist church in Amityville, Long Island, my hometown. The pastor there was Mike Gadosh. We became friends. And uh, eventually I reached a point where I wanted to stop playing games. Uh, I, I knew that I was just dabbling in religion, but playing it safe by not completely surrendering myself to Christ. And uh, finally, I came to the point where I could not wait to be baptized to publicly identify in front of those whom I love, especially my own family, my parents and my siblings. I wanted to uh, identify with Jesus Christ in, in their presence. I wanted them to know that I believed uh, that the religion of my childhood was a false religion but, but in such a way where I wasn't being overtly mean-spirited about it and I wanted them to realize that uh, there was a stark contrast that had occurred in my life uh, a new beginning in my life uh, I mean, it had become a new creation and um, my mom, although she had some uh, misgivings about me leaving the church of my childhood that she raised me in and although she had some sentimental, I believe, uh, misgivings about me being baptized uh, in a Baptist church since she had, had me baptized as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church, she quickly abandoned all of those things when she really saw the radical contrast in my life. Uh, she was always fearful of my life and safety and spiritual well-being, knowing that I was since teenage years, early teenage years uh, uh, seriously involved in alcohol abuse and habitual uh, pot smoking and things like that <clears throat> and uh, going to nightclubs and and staying out all hours of the night and, and perhaps at some times uh, even staying out all night. And when she saw this radical contrast, this radical change, she really began to just rejoice along with me that this had occurred in my life. Uh, She was not really concerned anymore that I had left Catholicism. And then eventually, uh, on her deathbed, when she was dying of pancreatic cancer, she made it very clear to me that she embraced the true gospel
0: Hmm.
1: of the Scriptures. She was trusting solely in the finished work of Christ on Calvary for her salvation. And she uh, she had ceased praying to Mary and the saints and their idols. Uh, and uh, it was a remarkable trans- transformation that was not coerced uh, by me or anyone else in her. Uh, it was something that just very calmly and sweetly poured out of her during the last six weeks of her life. And it was such a joy and a, a reassurance for me to know that uh, when she was departing the earth. That she would indeed be with Christ for eternity, uh, knowing that she was
0: trusting solely upon Him. Praise the Lord. Well, let's let's talk about the issue of discernment, and uh, it, I I can't think of something I want to talk about more right now because it does concern me that that so many within uh, good, godly, conservative, even reformed churches seem to lack this idea of separating right from wrong, or false doctrine from from good doctrine. So, uh, Brother Chris, define for us what do we mean by discernment.
1: Well, uh, I think that you actually just explained it uh, to a good degree. Uh, But uh, discernment uh, is typically when you are looking at a, a multitude of different options on any kind of a category in life, uh, and on the surface, they may seem very similar. They may, might even seem identical or have tertiary uh, uh, levels of importance. But then the one who is more discerning, because he's more educated by the Scriptures, when we were speaking of spiritual things, uh, the differences that may seem very subtle or perhaps even non-existent mm. to many people there will be There will be more of a stark contrast in those various uh, options in life that we have. <clears throat> and like one uh, blatant example will be the issue of Roman Catholicism. and right. uh, the the contrast between the Church of Rome and the Gospel of the Reformation, which of course, everybody who claims to be an heir of the Reformation, should believe that gospel is the biblical gospel. Right. Uh, And uh, that's the only reason that we should believe in anything is because it has its roots in the scriptures. Right. And I agree with you that there is an alarming lack of discernment uh, in regard to differences such as the gospel of Rome and the gospel of the Reformation, even by men who are very well studied and brilliant. And it's, it's very troubling and baffling, Uh, how there are many uh, theologically Reformed men who welcome Roman Catholics as their brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they are faithful to the Gospel as declared at the Council of Trent, which anathematizes or or declares a curse upon anyone who believes in the Gospel of the Reformation. And which has never been spoke that's right, and, and it's, it's quite interesting and very telling that the Church of Rome right now has their most liberal pope in their history, Pope Francis, and even he has not denounced the Council of Trent, he has not recanted it, he has not overturned it, and he cannot, because those uh, are dogmas that were declared at Trent, and in the Catholic Church there's a difference between a discipline uh, and a dogma, a discipline is something that can change. Uh, a lot of people don't even realize that uh, the celibacy in the priesthood, for instance, that can change, if the uh, Vatican sees fit to open up the, the doors mm. for priests to marry. But an issue like uh, believing in uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone—that anathema upon that. Uh, is unchangeable. That is binding, forever right. binding, upon a faithful Roman Catholic for
0: all of earthly existence. But are you being too tough? Because, you know, I look at Pope Francis on TV, and he's just a really nice guy, and he loves the poor, and he's even considerate toward homosexuals. I mean, if I'm sitting, just uh, viewing all this, he just seems like a nice guy. Why are you so rough on him? But... In reality, as you sit here, this is the gospel. This is a life-and-death issue that we're talking about, whether he's a nice guy or not.
1: Yes, of course, there are nice people, there are nice neighbors and family members and friends and acquaintances that we have that are atheists, that are perhaps Muslims, that are perhaps Mormons. Uh, In fact, to go even further, there are Roman Catholics and people of other religions uh, who I am so very fond of that I actually prefer their company over some oh. professing Bible believing born again Christians and Calvinists that I know. Right. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean I think that they're my brothers and sisters. That just means that I like them as people, that they have character traits uh, that I enjoy. And uh, if we're going to be honest, there are people who are members of false religions or no religions at all though I think that every uh, ideology, even atheism and uh, agnosticism, is or are religions. But Correct. there are people in false religions uh, who are superior to us, in, in many occasions, in different areas of life. We cannot claim so arrogantly that we... Are better husbands than every Roman Catholic husband, or better fathers than every Roman Catholic father, or better citizens, or better employees, or better siblings, or better friends. You, you just, we can't make that claim that we can learn very much from people that we know who, to our shame, now we are called to be better, we are called to be, uh, obedient to God, which, uh, uh these folks who rebel against Him, are not, but uh, even though we are called to be better than them and to be lights to them, we we, if we're going to be honest, we recognize that we fail in many areas. But having said all that, those things are not what merits our entrance into heaven. Right. As I was just telling you before about my mother's own conversion testimony, she is a Roman Catholic, finally realized that the only way to heaven is. Only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, she was my mother, as many people might say about their mothers, uh, that she was a modern-day saint and so on. But when I say it, I can literally and honestly, without exaggeration, say that uh, my siblings and I cannot really ever think of of anything of any importance to criticize her for. Uh, She was as perfect a mother as a human being could be but uh, I asked her uh, on her deathbed because of that fact that I just stated. I said, you know, your children all love you and we, we can't even think of anything to really complain about in regard to how you have been a parent and you have been a religious woman. You have had a life filled with religious devotion and self-sacrifice and selflessness and patience and forgiveness. Even my, uh, some of my siblings who have ex-spouses that uh, those ex-spouses called my mother "mom" years after they divorced my siblings. She she was just a, a really beautiful woman. I asked her if any of those things were going to help uh, her getting into heaven after she left this earth, and she said no. And I said why, and she said, uh, and keep in mind that this is not a woman that I viewed as a student of the scriptures. Uh, she just calmly said. In almost a childlike way, she said, "Well, that would be if, if I wouldn't think that those things are getting me into heaven in any way. That reminds me of the Pharisee in the temple who was praying to the Lord, uh, thanking Him that He was not a sinner like a tax collector that was in the in the temple with Him, and the, the tax collector beat his chest and." Uh, fell to his knees and said, "Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner." And my mother said, "I'm that text collector," and I almost fell off my chair when my Roman <laughs> <living> Catholic <laughs> mother, who had been <clears throat> deeply devoted to prayer to Mary and Saint Jude, and and many of the superstitions accompanying Roman Catholicism for most of her seventy years on this planet, how this all just all that all those trappings vanished from her life, and uh, so that's. Uh, what uh, our only hope is, it's, it's the finished right. work of Christ. And for us to think we could add anything to it is a mockery and uh, a,
0: a very serious heresy. And that really gets to the heart of what we're talking about when it comes to discernment, because we have to be biblical in our thoughts and our understanding, not just basing things on emotion or mere surface-level appearances. We have to be grounded and rooted in Scripture in order to actually make proper judgments, not just based on our senses, our own faculties, but surely on the Word of God. And so I want to kind of uh, transition into our our next section about Scriptures. Uh, When we talk about discernment, what are some Scriptures that that come to your mind?
1: Well, immediately, when I have conversations with uh, either Catholics or Protestants who are ecumenists, and they uh, will be troubled by my view uh, that our Roman Catholic friends and family members and loved ones are not our brothers in Christ, no. uh, they will think that I am being harsh, uh, or that people who agree with me are being harsh and unloving. And I always uh, immediately go to the book of Galatians, mm. because uh, they are really, you Consciously or unconsciously, I'm assuming unconsciously, they are asking that we be nicer and kinder and more loving than the Apostle Paul. Right. Because the Apostle Paul did not view the Judaizers as brothers and sisters in Christ, even though the Judaizers, from what we know in Scripture, and in particular in the book of Galatians, Uh, From what we know, the the Judaizers did not disagree with the Apostle Paul and the disciples of Jesus Christ on anything except that they insisted that Gentiles be circumcised in order to receive eternal life and to be considered children of God and so on. And uh, if the Apostle Paul viewed that one thing as so horrific that he declared an anathema on those individuals, the Judaizers, uh, then how am I supposed to be uh, more kind and more gentle and more nice in regard to these differences? And in reality, uh, I think that you are being very loving and kind when you point out to people that they are violating uh, the Gospel when they are believing in something that is going to send them to hell, you're not you're not doing them any favors by uh, sugarcoating the difference, right by uh, making them uh, by deceiving them into believing that they are indeed safe and they are headed to heaven and that they are your brothers and sisters. Uh, that would be the, the most unlo- unloving thing and selfish thing that you right. can do. If you're more concerned about your own friendship with them, or you're concerned, more concerned about hurting their feelings, or if you're more concerned about losing something, if if you are honest with them, whether it's their respect or their friendship, or perhaps it's a financial issue with with an employer or whatever it might be, your status in the community, if you're more concerned about any of those things than you are with the never-dying souls of men, then you really are not being loving and you're not really thinking about the most important things in life.
0: And even Galatians 1, it's interesting, as Paul says, here's the gospel, and even if an angel from heaven came and told you something different, you go with the word of God, go with the scriptures here, and even some sort of supernatural event that seems to contradict it, then you've got to stick here. This is what's right. There's a clear delineation between right and wrong, and not everyone who carries a Bible is telling you what's right.
1: That's right. And um, one of the things that uh, uh, I often will bring up, uh, one text that I think is a very key text to those who... Uh, our fellow believers in total depravity, that uh, that we in our sinful flesh prior to our regeneration have the ability to somehow summon up a faith that, be- that, that is pleasing to God, that he accepts and then in their minds gives us a gift of rebirth because of the faith that we have presented to them I, I point them to I and mean, this is of course could be anywhere from uh a Wesleyan Arminian to a Roman Catholic. Uh and and of course those two groups would uh teach something that is nowhere found in scriptures called prevenient grace. Right. Where the only reason that a person who has original sin can believe is because of this so called prevenient grace, but I don't know how, if God is giving this to every single person, why is it that so many no. are not uh, coming to Christ? But <clears throat> I, I go to Romans 8 8, uh, so then that they uh, who are in the flesh cannot please God, and of course, uh, if, if we are in the flesh, if we are not regenerate, how can we please God with a faith that is allegedly going to save us? Hmm. Uh, I think that that is a, a, um, an area that uh, really separates uh, the the truth from falsehood in regard to the condition of man and the hopeless state of man. And uh, I, I, re- I rarely have ever heard anything coming close to an adequate uh, response from right. those who
0: disagree with our understanding of total depravity. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're talking about pure discernment, and we're kind of segue into our next segment about dangers to avoid. Uh, I, I think of 1 John 4.1. that talks about don't listen, don't trust every spirit, but test the spirits whether to, to see what they are from God. And so first, we, we don't want to just simply assume that somebody, this and, and Chris, maybe maybe you have the same experience, but um, I've most of the churches I've been in are either conservative or reformed, and it amazes me how many times I could walk into uh, a church member's uh, house and see on the coffee table a book by Joel Osteen or Joyce Meyer, and I just think, like, have, have you have you not been listening to what we've been talking about here, um, what's been said from the pulpit, or at least what's in your Bible? Uh, so. How do we, uh, I think we can avoid um, falling into these traps by simply first paying attention to what Scripture has to say, but I think there's another danger we haven't hit on yet, and that's where I think some people take this too far, and you have these "discern" quote-unquote discernment ministries, and they're usually some website somewhere or a podcast, uh, that just want to pick apart everybody and everything. Uh, how do you, uh, how do you, get rid of these guys? How how do you address these people?
1: Well, I I try to uh, bring them back to the reality that the teachings of the doctrines of the sovereign grace of God, the, the teachings of Reformed theology or nicknamed Calvinism, which of course we who adhere to them believe they are the teachings of the Bible. right? Uh, if indeed, of course, these discernment ministries are uh, professedly reformed. I remind them, uh, when I have had confrontations with them, that the teachings that we have embraced and cherish are not in any way intended to lift up and exalt ourselves and puff us up with pride. They are there to uh, do uh, what is diametrically opposed to that. They are to bring us down into the dust, to a state of hopelessness and helplessness, knowing that we must rely solely upon God for everything. And we we should, in remembering that, remember from where we came before we believed in these things, and when we look at someone who uh, is uh, perhaps an Arminian or somebody who's a Roman Catholic or is from a different religion, we should not be so impatient with them when we share the truth with them. And of course, I've just mentioned some categories that are very different. Uh, I, I'm not trying to insinuate that I believe that all my Armenian friends are not my brothers and sisters like a Roman Catholic or a Muslim might like be. But and of course, even with Roman Catholics, I believe that there are some who are my brothers and sisters in Christ because they are either consciously rebelling against their own church's dogmatic teachings or they are naively believing in biblical truth, not realizing that those things are in opposition to their own religion. Mm. But, um, but I remind those uh, discernment guys who pride themselves on being the arbiters of truth and who are very quick with a trigger finger to just blast everyone who disagrees I remind them that uh, you've really got to be uh, more humble in your approach because you are coming across as if you have innately come to these uh, truths by virtue of your own uh, natural wisdom or brilliance or or insight or discernment, <laughs> uh, rather than these things being gifts of God to you. These uh, the understanding of these things being a gift of God to you. That he chose to open your eyes to these truths and so on. Right. So uh, I, th- I think that uh, it also is a reminder that you can be biblically orthodox on paper and still be damned and still be as right. lost as lost can be. Well, uh, me... you, you, you must keep in mind that, for instance, the Westboro Baptist Church, and uh, yes. I uh, pardon me for using the phrase, but the God hates fags cult, Let's keep in mind that they, unfortunately, uh, claimed uh, to be confessionally Calvinistic. They actually yeah. officially have the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith as their as their uh, confession, uh, and so on. So you can believe in a confession of faith. You can believe things from the Bible
0: that are true, but still be still be lost as can be. Hmm. Well, that's a uh, by way of application now. Uh, what is your recommendation to the person in the pew who says, okay, I don't want to fall into either of these extremes? What are some safeguards I can put in my life to keep myself biblically faithful?
1: Well, uh, obviously, uh, the, the first and foremost thing would be to, uh, to, to increase your private devotional life right. with the Holy Scriptures. Uh, I think uh, one thing that is very important. And I don't want to broad brush here because not all of these discernment ministries that have gone awry uh, and have become uh, known for self-righteousness and, and hate speech and so on. And I hate to borrow a term from the, the the politically correct leftist media by using a term like hate speech, but there are certainly people who are guilty of that who wear the name Christian. Uh, but... Um, One of the things that some of them, and I think uh, enough of them, that it's a significant element within those uh, discernment ministries who are nothing about criticism and pointing out the errors and others, is that many of them are mavericks. They uh, are not members of Bible-believing churches. They're not submitting. They're not submitting to the authority of elders in good churches, many of them. Uh, I, 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 can't, I have to re- keep repeating myself. I'm not saying that there's no one that in, among them that is doing that, because some of them are pastors themselves. But uh, we have to be very careful about not thinking so highly of our own views. But even like, for instance, these pastors in these groups, uh, if they are not really in fellowship with uh, other typically faithful congregations, and if they are not in regular communication Uh, with other pastors that are biblically faithful, uh, people can really uh, become very close, if not stepping over the line uh, of uh, the the line that separates biblical orthodoxy orthodoxy and being a cult. uh, I think that uh, some of these folks could uh, step over the line just because they're an island unto themselves. Their isolation is very... uh, So I think that the, the fellowship of, of uh, biblically faithful men and and also reading the finest in extra-biblical books mm-hmm. written by great minds that have blessed the Church for centuries, that have stood the test of time. Uh, and I think a lot of these things, uh, obviously, always combined with prayer and always combined with the humility that we ask God to point out to ourselves our own flaws and sins that we might not recognize, I think that with those things all combined are are very important. Right.
0: Well, let's, uh, wrapping things up here, so some recommendations, what are some books or other resources you'd recommend for people who, who listen to this podcast here, talk about some of the things, uh, listen to some things we talked about, and want to go maybe a little deeper?
1: Well, if you're talking about uh, one thing that's a, a passion of mine because of the fact that, as I already mentioned to you, I was Roman Catholic and I have family members who are still Roman Catholic, and I uh, have a burden to see them flee from that uh, false religion, which is a damning religion. Uh, I cannot help but highly recommend uh, some books, for instance, The Roman Catholic Controversy right. by Dr. James R. White of Alpha Mega Omega Ministries. Uh, he has a couple of other books uh, on the issue of Roman Catholicism in different areas. He he has uh, a book, a smaller book, uh, Mary, Another Redeemer? Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. Uh, right. A book that I'm going to be addressing this uh, coming week, uh, on the, in fact on Reformation Day, hmm. uh, by William Webster, who's also a dear friend of mine. Uh, he has written a masterful book that everyone needs to have, both evangelical and Roman Catholic. It's called The Church of Rome at the Bar of History, and it uh, really goes into the origins of many of the false and heretical and damning teachings of the Roman Catholic Church that that are claimed by Roman Catholic apologists to have existed since the days of Christ. And this book clearly refutes that as unhistorical and even nonsensical Mm. at times and uh, the Gospel of the Reformation, also by William Webster, a uh, really great book, a smaller book, and uh, one more that I immediately can think of, going back to my friend Dr. James mm. L. White of Alton mm. Mega Ministries, is the God Who Justifies. Yes, uh, because the, the gospel uh, it hinges on an accurate understanding of justification. And uh, it is a really a life and death matter. It's not right. counting how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. This is you're talking about separating darkness from light and uh, eternal life from damnation. And it's, it's it's these are very important, vital issues. Mm-hmm. And I, those are the books that immediately jump into mind right now, especially since it's Reformation. Uh, month, and there'll be Reformation Day soon, and um, it's Reformation Sunday tomorrow, at least at the
0: time that we're having this this, uh, discussion. And uh, I want to add, just in general, the book, The Discipline of Spiritual Discernment by Tim Challies is a good uh, overall, broad topic, uh, uh, discernment uh, book, and so yeah, I'm looking forward of, to having Tim back
1: on my show. Actually, I've had Tim uh, on a few times, and I'd love to have him address that book. Actually,
0: and we're going to have a link to uh, where listeners can listen to your broadcast. But tell us a little bit about uh, just kind of our, our last question. Uh, tell us a little bit about Iron Sharpens Iron. Uh, what listeners can expect, and uh, where they can, and how they can listen.
1: Uh, what they, they can expect is uh, a different guest every day Uh, Well, obviously on some occasions very rare occasions you'll hear the same guest two days in a row like I just had my friend uh, Pastor Jeff Waddington uh, who is now on the faculty at Westminster Theological Seminary but he is the uh, pastor of the Knox Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania he was just on two days in a row because he happened to be in town for my pastor's luncheon and decided to stay in town. But most of the time, you'll hear a different guest every day. You will hear a very broad scope of subjects addressed, uh, which uh, in some ways makes my program different than a lot of reformed radio programs and podcasts, because... This is where my stupidity is actually a blessing to my program. When you have a guy like James White and many other guys who are brilliant, they're Greek scholars, uh, you, you'll be listening to their programs, and it's like sitting you know, in, a, in a seminary class and so on. And uh, that's great to have programs like the Dividing Line and other programs where the, the host himself is so brilliant. He rarely really needs to have guests on. And James does occasionally have guests on, but for the vast majority of the time he doesn't. And you'll find that with a lot of the podcasts. Me, on the other hand, I know that I'm only smart enough really to ask good questions, not necessarily answer them. So my my program is guest-driven, and you'll hear a very broad and wide uh, spectrum of subjects and guests, predominantly my guests are from theologically Reformed background, whether Reformed Baptist or Presbyterian, but not exclusively. Uh, If if an Armenian brother has written a book, or a sister, that is a really excellent work addressing a certain issue. I can even think of one issue that immediately jumps into my head, uh, a book that was written uh, exposing the nation of Islam, something that hardly anyone has really written on in depth from an outsider's point of view. Uh, the the author of that book uh, is an Arminian, and so I've had him on on several occasions. Uh, so, but you will hear. I think that, that one of the things that I keep hearing from people who love the show is that one of the things they enjoy most is the diversity, and they also enjoy the conversational style. It's it's not a wooden and stiff show. It's not it doesn't sound like it's been rehearsed. Uh, perhaps sometimes I make a fool of myself more than I want to admit, but but it's it's like a, it's like a uh, you're sitting at a coffee table with some uh, theologian or pastor, and you're just enjoying having a an in depth conversation with them. That's the way I like to look at it. And also, the listeners can join in uh, on the program by emailing questions to the guests during the live show. And very often, when I'm interviewing authors, especially, I give away free books uh, mm. to those. Who uh, listen, and I give away free New American Standard Bibles always to first-time questioners—people who, for the very first time, uh, email a question—they automatically get a, a, a new New American Standard Bible. So that's basically what you can uh, expect. And there's also some humor involved at times. Uh, it's it's a very relaxed atmosphere that I, I hopefully am not using too much humor or serious issues
0: are being right. treated with frivolity or anything like that. Well, one of the things I appreciate about your program is it's it's long enough to actually get into an in-depth conversation. Like, this podcast, we're, we're done in 30 minutes, but you actually have the time to actually explore and get into issues.
1: Yes, I uh, enjoy that myself I'm, I'm very glad that I am able to conduct a two-hour program every day and uh uh, in fact, even when I do a two-hour interview with a guest, very often the time flies by so quickly, especially right. since we do have commercials in my program. It is not a, uh, a commercial-free broadcast. The uh, advertising revenue that comes in through the the commercials is helping to keep Orange Open Zion Radio on the air. But, uh uh, if the, the topic is controversial enough or deep enough or fascinating enough, the, the two hours fly by like a bullet, and mm. both my guest and myself are very often stunned that we've run out of time. And, and it's funny because a lot of people will say, what, do you do a two hour radio program? I, I can't even understand how that's possibly, uh, how you could possibly conduct a two hour program with one guest. And have it maintain an interest throughout the entire program in fact i was uh, I was invited by a major radio station uh, on the largest Christian network in the world to have my own radio program with them, and they told me though that they hated my show <laughs> yeah. and they said they said that it was ridiculous and out of date and Uh, unproductive to have a talk show where you're interviewing someone in theology for two hours or even an hour. And they they basically said that they wanted me rather than interview uh, theologians, which they thought was boring, or at least this individual who was the program director thought it was boring. He wanted me to just take live phone calls from listeners, the average listener being a married woman with more children in the household than the national average uh, and uh, 25 to 54 years of age, and they wanted me to take phone calls from these ladies and chat with them and give them advice without being too biblical. Don't oh. use the Bible too much. Uh, and I said, so wait a minute, Are you uh, you want me to do a one-man version of The View? <laughs> Is that what you... <laughs> and so I declined their offer, and... Uh, and I said, I t- and I told them with quite uh, a great amount of honesty, uh, I said to them, not only do I hate that idea, I would be horrible at it and you would know it in five minutes. And I told them, uh, that at this time, my late wife was still with us and um, I told them that if my wife heard that I was giving women advice about anything, you'd be able to hear her laughing all the way from Long Island to New Jersey. I mean, uh, so uh, that is uh, basically uh, the format that I think works very well in spite of what people who are so-called experts
0: might have to say. Mm. The only complaint I have about your show is I haven't gotten a free book yet, but we'll – We'll try to fix that eventually, but I I listen to the (laughs) podcast version, so... (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining us here on uh, the Basic Bible Podcast. Hey, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate being invited. All right, I want to thank all of you for listening, and join us back next time. Don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. You'll find the resource section where you can find a link to the books we just mentioned. Also find the links to iron sharpens iron radio and you can uh, listen more to chris there so have a great rest of your week and see you next time